Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. As Jody said earlier, uh, we are preaching through the book of the first 10 of the book of Psalms, and we've been singing them together. We'll be able to sing this psalm at the end of the service, Psalm 9. Please uh, open your Bible or follow along behind me as we read Psalm 9. For the choir director, on Muth Laban, a Psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins. And you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, in the net which they hid, Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. In the work of his own hands, the wicked is snared. The wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. For the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is the word of the Lord. Aren't the Psalms wonderful? Once we start taking the Psalms seriously, what do they do for us? They let us think things and say things and pray things and sing things that we wouldn't otherwise. They let us call out for God's judgment, not just for his mercy, but for his judgment. 
They make us ask for things we never knew we could ask for or that we should ask for. The Psalms make us see the way God sees. Really, the Psalms make us see the way that a man after God's own heart sees. Scripture says of King David, who wrote most of the Psalms and certainly wrote this one, that he was a man after God's own heart. What does that kind of man feel? What does that kind of man think about and pray for? What draws that kind of man to worship? What does that kind of man, a man after God's own heart, do in the face of suffering and persecution? What does that kind of man hope for? We get all of that in the Psalms. God in his kindness gives us all of that in the Psalms. And that's why we need to immerse ourselves in the Psalms. We need to read the Psalms, we need to sing the Psalms, and pray the Psalms, and preach the Psalms. They smack us out of our ruts. They smack us out of our ruts, our our well-worn ruts of little thoughts and little hopes, little expectations. They smack us out of our little shrunken feelings our cold hearts, and they open up for us the fear of God, the mercy of God, the glory of God. And this psalm, Psalm 9, is full of things we don't normally think about or sing about or pray for. Because the overwhelming theme of Psalm 9 is what? It's judgment. It's judgment. Listen to these words again. Listen to the words of judgment in Psalm 9. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins, and you have uprooted cities. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord has executed judgment. Judgment all through this psalm. It's all about judgment. But Psalm 9 doesn't start with judgment, does it? Psalm 9 starts with thanksgiving and gladness and praise. Look at verses 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. This is a psalm of judgment, yeah, but it's a psalm of worship. It's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of joy. Now, how does that work? How does that work? How do judgment and rejoicing go together? What we see here in Psalm 9 is a song of praise and gladness and rejoicing and exultation at what? On what occasion? It's the death, the utter destruction, the eternal damnation of God's enemies. How can that be? 
Doesn't that make you uncomfortable? Makes me uncomfortable. You know, we look at these psalms, this psalm's like Psalm 9, and we wonder, is this just one of those Old Testament things that we in our, in our weird theology can cut out and throw away? Why do, the, why do psalms like this make us uncomfortable? Well, it's because our allegiance is to our nation, our culture, our family, our friends, our comfort, and not to God. And so we shrink back from these kinds of psalms. How can it be that we would rejoice at the destruction of the wicked? Everything about that feels godless and proud, doesn't it? Everything about that makes us feel uncomfortable. We, we've even, you know, what's going on right now in America? Um, we've seen these movies, these films filmed by this undercover reporter about Planned Parenthood. If you have not watched them, and I know that there are probably people here who haven't, watch them. They're all over the internet. Watch them. What you'll see is a, a man lying about who he is so that he can expose great evil and great wickedness. And let me tell you, he is absolutely right to do so. He's right to do so. And you hear Christians wondering about that, thinking, is this right? Can that, how can this be right? Oh, let me tell you, it's right. And the Bible's full of, of, of reasons why he's exactly right to do it. That's another sermon, but. And many people, even Christians, are saying it's wrong to rejoice in the exposure of this evil. It's wrong to gloat. So we read Psalms like this and we think, well, this can't be right. This can't be right. It can't be right to rejoice at the downfall of the wicked. You know, besides how it feels, besides what our culture says around us, doesn't the Bible tell us not to rejoice when the wicked fall? Well, as a matter of fact, yes, it does. Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. And doesn't God command us to love our enemies? All over the place, Jesus says in Luke 6, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. God himself says about himself in Ezekiel 33, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But look at Psalm 9. Look at Psalm 9. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Why? When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. 
The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins and you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. Judgment on God's enemies. Rejoice. And let me tell you, that is tame compared to, to what other psalms say. And I just want to scratch the surface a little bit to tell you and show you what, the, what other psalms say. For example, Psalm 35, let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let, them, let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Or Psalm 58, O oh God, shatter their teeth in their mouth. Now, I want you all to feel that for a minute. Is that a nice thing to pray for? I mean, a baseball bat to the teeth? Can you, are you, you feel that? That's the word of God. Shatter, oh God, shatter their teeth in their mouth. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away like water that runs off when he aims his arrows. Let them be as headless shafts. Let them be as a snail which melts away as it goes along, like the miscarriages of a woman which never see the sun. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Those aren't my words, those are God's words. And men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there's a God who judges on earth. Listen to this. This is one of the most intense psalms in the whole Bible, and we'll get to them in like 10 years, probably. This is Psalm 109. Appoint a wicked man over him, and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him come forth guilty, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, let another take his office, let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children wander about and beg, and let them seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. Let the creditor seize all that he has, and let strangers plunder the product of his labor. Let there be none to extend loving kindness to him, nor any to be gracious to his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off. In a following generation, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and do not let the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off their memory from the earth. Because he did not remember to show loving kindness, but persecuted the afflicted and needy man and the despondent in heart to put them to death. He also loved cursing, so it came to him. And he did not delight in blessing, so it was far from him. But he clothed himself with cursing as with a garment, and it entered into his body like water and like oil into his bones. Let it be to him as a garment with which he covers himself, and for a belt with which he constantly girds himself. Let this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, and of those who speak evil against my soul. Now that's intense but maybe not as intense as this one last line from Psalm 137. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one, how blessed will be 
the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us, how blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. This is the word of the Lord. That is the word of the Lord. What do we do with that? Let me read something to you. This is what a very popular and well-loved Christian writer says about these psalms. Here's what he says about these psalms, these words of God that I've just read to you. Here's what he says. In some of the psalms, the spirit of hatred which strikes us in the face is like the heat from a furnace mouth. You've just felt some of that. In others, the same spirit ceases to be frightful only by becoming, to a modern mind, almost comic in its naivety. One way of dealing with with these terrible, or dare I say, contemptible psalms is simply to leave them alone. But unfortunately, the bad parts will not come away clean. They may, as we have noticed, be intertwined with the most exquisite things. At the outset, I felt sure, and I feel sure still, that we must not either try to explain them away or to yield for one moment to the idea that because it comes in the Bible, all this vindictive hatred must somehow be good and pious. We must face both facts squarely. The hatred is there, festering, gloating, undisguised. And also, we should be wicked if we in any way condoned or approved it or worse still, used it to justify similar passions in ourselves. Who said that? C.S. Lewis said that. The darling of of modern Christians, C.S. Lewis. You know what he called these psalms? He called them devilish. Devilish. So what do we do with that? Well, I say we reject it. Not the psalms, but what C.S. Lewis says about them. That's crazy. Reject C.S. Lewis a hundred times, a thousand times before we reject King David, before we reject the Holy Spirit of God who inspired these words. But that still leaves us with a problem, doesn't it? Or what looks like a problem. How do we use these psalms? How do we read them? Should we sing them? Should we pray them? Well, Here they are, right? Here they are. They're in my Bible. Don't don't get bollocked up about these psalms. Rejoice in them as God's good and holy word. Does God know what he's doing? Of course he does. Does Are these God's words? Of course they are. Are these psalms inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness? Yes. None of these psalms come with footnotes or caveats, you know, that say now, just kidding, not. You know, this message will self-destruct when New Testament times come.
Now, this is not about our personal and petty conflicts, right? These aren't the, the, the psalms that we, we, we start singing when, when that woman, uh, you know, steals the parking spot at the grocery store, <laughs> you know? This isn't about our personal and petty conflicts. This is about God and his kingdom and his honor and his glory and his purposes in the world and his holiness. God inspired these words and he fully intends for us to sing them, to pray them, to read them, to rejoice in them. But again, how do we put this all together? A few minutes ago, I read Proverbs 24, 17 to you. Here's what that says. It says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. But look at what the rest of the, of the sentence says, okay? Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Why not? Or, if you do, the Lord will see it and be displeased and turn his anger away from him. Do not fret because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked, for there will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Now that kind of changes the whole tone of it, doesn't it? If you actually read it. There is a way to rejoice when your enemy falls that God forbids. There is a kind of gladness at the stumbling of your enemy that displeases God. But notice very carefully, what is the reason we should not rejoice in a sinful way at the downfall of our enemies? It's because if we do, God might see it and turn his anger away from him. And we can't have that. We can't have that. We can't have God turning his anger away from the wicked. So don't rejoice in a sinful way. Now, what is, the, what is the implication of that? We should want God's anger to rest on the wicked. So don't mess that up. Don't get in the way of that. Even this proverb tells us that we should want God's anger to rest on the wicked. Be careful. Don't be proud when God punishes the wicked. Don't make light of it. Don't lose sight of your own sins. Why not? Because if you do, God might turn his anger away. Don't act in such a way that God might be moved to turn his anger away from the wicked. And so there's a bad rejoicing. There's a bad way to gloat at the fall of the wicked that puts me up above them and says, Psh, you idiot. You had that coming to you. I don't have that coming to me. You had that coming to you. It's proud, self-righteous. It does not see how much I deserve the wrath of God. But that does not mean that these psalms are wrong. No. It does not mean that there's not a righteous and godly way to rejoice when God judges the wicked. In other words, there is a righteous and godly way to rejoice when God judges the wicked. It 
And if we don't enter into that kind of righteous joy when God's enemies fall, then we do not honor God. Here's another proverb, Proverbs 11.10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. by those who know the Lord. Now, I hate to have to say this, but that's not just an Old Testament thing. Okay? We can't take that and say, yeah, but that's the Proverbs, that's the, Old, that's the Psalms, and we all know that God was mean in the Old Testament, now he's nice in the New Testament, the Psalms are the Old Testament, so we can write them off. No, no, that's not what we do with God's word. But at any rate, we find the same thing in the New Testament, so that argument doesn't matter. Revelation 18, listen to these words. This is talking about the destruction of God's enemies. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. God's judgment on his enemies. Rejoice, O saints. Rejoice over the destruction of the harlot Babylon. Rejoice over the destruction of God's enemies. Worship God because of this. Revelation 19 After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. This will be an eternal cause of rejoicing for God's people. That's what it says. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. Should you rejoice at the destruction of God's enemies? Should you rejoice at the uncovering of great wickedness? when it's shown for what it is and things start to fall apart among the godless, yes, you'd better rejoice. God commands you to. Are you more fair than God, more pious than God, more holy than God? Do you fear the Lord? Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Do you love the Lord? Psalm 97.10 says, hate evil, you who love the Lord. If you fear the Lord, if you love him, you have to rejoice at the downfall of his enemies. Now, how do we, what do we do with that? How do we apply that to us here and now? 
You notice something about Psalm 9, and you'll see this all through the Psalms. Notice how much King David in Psalm 9 talks about the nations. The nations. Verse 5, you have rebuked the nations. Verse 15, the nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made. Verse 17, the wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forget God. Verse 19, arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Verse 20, put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. What does that tell us? That tells us that nations fall. Nations fall. This nation will fall. This nation will fall. Why is that such a strange thought to us? You know, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the Jews, believed in something, uh, Jewish exceptionalism, right? We have the temple. We have Mount Zion. We will never fall. It's impossible for us to fall. We're God's people. We are God's nation, the temple of the Lord. What happened to that nation? What happened to that temple? God destroyed it to the point where not one stone stands on another, right? That's what God thinks of Jewish exceptionalism. And what do we think of all the time? American exceptionalism? Oh yes, I know that every other nation who's ever existed in the history of the world has fallen, but not America. Oh no. I mean, we're America. It's just self-evident that America will stand forever right off into the sunset in glory. This nation will fall. What will cause this nation to fall? Well, God will cause this nation to fall. God is the one who raises up kings and kingdoms and nations and brings them down again. We will help. We will bring on God's judgment. We will provide the occasion for God's judgment. In some ways, we'll even provide the shape of God's judgment. Because we will reap what we have sown. Verses 15 and 16 in Psalm 9. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made. Right? So we dig a pit intended to catch other people and we turn around and fall right into it. In the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment and the work of his own hands, the wicked, is snared. Think again about these videos. (laughs) The wicked being snared, falling into the pit that they themselves have dug. God will cause this nation to fall into the pit which it has dug for itself as it's turned away from God. Do you hate wisdom, America? Fine. Wallow in the foolishness and all the fruit of foolishness that that brings. 
Do you hate authority, America? Fine. Be destroyed by your own people rioting in the streets. Do you hate scripture, America? Then wander in the darkness. Do you hate life, America? Then shed the blood of of your own children. Let's see how that's going to turn out for you, America. Because as you do, know this, the Lord requires blood. That's what Psalm 9 says, the Lord requires blood. What does that mean? There is no drop of blood shed that won't go unaccounted for and unrequited, unpunished. Justice will be done. The Lord will bring down judgment on this nation for her hatred of life and her hatred for him, the Lord of life. There will be judgment. Now, what do you think of that? It's depressing, isn't it? But we're not allowed to be depressed. Do not despair. Do not be anxious. God's kingdom does not equal this nation. When did we get it in our heads that God's kingdom equals America? God's kingdom does not equal any nation. God uses kingdoms, God uses nations, God uses presidents and supreme courts and governors and all the rest to advance his kingdom. God even uses all of that to bring judgment on nations. That's what we're seeing. That's what we will see. But it's God doing this. God's kingdom does not stand or fall on this nation. God builds his kingdom on the rubble of fallen nations. And his kingdom endures forever. His kingdom will not fall. So we don't pledge allegiance to this nation. We shouldn't in such a way that makes us squeamish about these psalms, squeamish about the judgment of God, depressed about the judgment of God. The end of this nation, I have news for you, the end of this nation will not equal the end of the world. (laughs) Isn't that what all Americans think? The nation's falling. It must be the end of the world. No. No. As I said, this should not be a depressing sermon. You should not feel discouraged. How did David feel when he wrote these words? I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. It's wonderful. 
this, these judgments of God, he says. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. I'm a sinner. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, you who lift me up from the gates of death that I may tell of all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. For the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Let our nation know, but they're just men. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You see, God's people rejoice in God's judgment. Mourn for our sins. Mourn for your sins. Mourn for the sins of our nation. Yes, mourn some more. Keep mourning. For the sins, but rejoice in God's judgment. This will all be set right by the throne of God's judgment. God's throne is for judgment. So, what He has set up His authority for, it's for judgment. That's what His rule is for, it's for judgment. The Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Run into the stronghold. And those who know your name will put their trust in you for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Seek him. Judgment is here. Judgment's coming. There's refuge in Christ. Seek him. Seek him. And rejoice in God's judgment. Unless you're the wicked. Unless you are God's enemy. Don't rejoice. Don't scoff. Don't laugh. Don't mock. But tremble in fear. It is a dreadful and fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And do not rest until you have been reconciled to God by the blood of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't rest until you've been made a friend. A friend of God. And not just a friend, but what? A son. Don't rest. Don't rest until you've found peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, we tremble at your word. Oh, I pray that we would tremble at your word. And I pray that we would tremble at your judgment, but Lord, more than that, I pray that we would 
come to the place of loving you, loving your holiness, loving your justice, loving your character so much that we rejoice in your judgment. Lord, do that work in us. We do pray, Lord, that you would bring judgment on the wicked. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would find refuge in the stronghold of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please have mercy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.